Hello and welcome. You're listening to Connected and Ready, an ongoing conversation about innovation, resilience and our capacity to succeed, brought to you by Microsoft. I'm Gemma Milne. I'm a technology journalist and author, and I'm going to be exploring trends around how companies are adapting to a disrupted world and preparing for tomorrow. We're going to speak to the innovators who are bringing products, operations and people together in new ways. On today's episode, I'm chatting to Piotr Ojachowski, founder and CEO of Informedica. We talk about how AI-powered assistants are helping transform the healthcare space, what's hype versus reality in thinking about the future of health, and what Piotr, as a leader of a medical company, has learned over both the last eight years of huge technological advancement and in the last nine months of increased demand on global healthcare systems. Piotr, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I wonder if you could start by just giving us a little bit of an introduction to yourself and to Informedica. Thank you, Gemma, and thank you so much for having me here. Uh, my name is Piotr Ożechowski. I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Informedica. We're originally Polish-based and we're applying AI to improve how primary care works. Uh, right now, we're a team of over 100 people mainly medical doctors, software engineers, and data scientists who are passionate about improving primary care with AI technology. So I want you to kind of rewind the clock back a little bit to 2012. My understanding is when it all all started for you guys. What was the the problem um, and therefore the opportunity that you were trying to solve and work for? Yes, the problem we were trying to solve was what is called the problem of Dr. Google. You know what happens when we feel unwell. Uh, We think about our symptoms. We go online, you type headache. And guess what? You suddenly find everything from common cold to brain tumor. And uh, this is something that people use. Uh, If you look at the studies, three out of four adults will use internet search to check on their symptoms. And actually, this idea for our application came from a game. So once upon a time in 2012, I was playing this game with my friend who happens to be a medical doctor. And this game was trying to ask you questions about somebody you are thinking of. And it was a very interesting concept because with every game you played, this bot, this game would improve. So it kept improving over time. And now I think it played hundreds of millions of sessions. So we thought to ourselves, hey, can you apply a similar concept to something practical, to something that can help people find information? And that's why we uh, we figured that we could apply this idea of ever constantly improving game to help people find their symptoms and answer their questions about their symptoms. Amazing. So it started off essentially as trying to build the, the 20 questions bot, shall we say, for Googling your health symptoms. So for anyone who might not have come across um, the term yet, or maybe has come across it and has been too afraid to ask, can you give us a little bit of a primer on what a chatbot actually is? Chatbots are computer programs that try to imitate the human behavior. So sometimes it can be something simple, like chatting about pizza order, but otherwise it can be something more difficult, like in our case, which is evaluating symptoms. Uh, So chatbots, the term comes from chatting. So normally traditional apps have form-based interfaces. You have buttons, you click different buttons and you move forward. 
In case of bots, you expect more of natural language conversation. So you type your intention and then you just type your responses. Could you give us a bit more flavor about what exactly is it doing? We hear this idea of it, you know, learning and being able to improve over time. What does that actually look like? How does it help the bot function? There are two main places inside of the bot where machine learning is critical. Um, So first one is natural language understanding and recognition of our language. So in order to begin the conversation with a bot, it needs to understand what we want to achieve. For example, if you say, I've got headache, can you please check me? That's called intent recognition. And this is where all the machine learning functionality comes in. You want to uh, divide the sentence into parts and understand its meaning so we can launch the conversation. The second part is this diagnostic interview itself, of course, in case of Informatica. Um, And here we use our reasoning technology based on probabilistic models to think about questions which are most relevant to your reported symptoms. So for instance, if you report abdominal pain, uh, this AI algorithm has potential differential diagnosis at the back of its head and set of questions to maximize the probability of getting to this correct assessment as soon as you can. Um, And this is where AI also comes in, basically to solve the key part of the functionality. So tell me a little bit about the technology that's behind all of this. What did you start with in 2012 and and what are you using now? Because things have changed a lot in the last eight years. So when we started, um, our beginnings were very modest, I would say. We were just a team of a few people, including two medical doctors. That was enough to build a very early prototype based on which we managed to get some early investment. So the origins of our technology actually came from the University of Pittsburgh. So one of our early stage scientific advisors has been working on uh, diagnostic tools for the U.S. Army and airline industry. And to some extent, we applied those concepts to the idea of medical diagnosis and human body. The foundation for what we have in terms of technology is expert curation. We hire doctors. We currently have a team of over 25 medical doctors who work every single day on a daily basis, reviewing and curating literature and also different publications, journals to populate the database of medical facts. It's very important that we only use uh, quality sources, evidence-based publications to build something we call a knowledge graph of different connections between symptoms, risk factors, lab test results, and obviously diseases. So think about a huge graph with different variables around it. And on top of this human curation, which is extremely important in healthcare, uh, we're also learning from data sets. And those data sets are either acquired from our B2B partners, like insurance companies and health systems, or acquired from our users who use the tool on a daily basis. So paint me a picture of what problem this is solving, because obviously, you're, you know, checking symptoms is obviously really important, but we can go to a doctor and speak to a doctor, right? Is it just about, you know, saving GP time so we, you know, they are able to serve more people when you're talking about insurance companies? What's the kind of sell for them? Convince me that we really need these chatbots for checking our symptoms. 
So it's all about making best decisions about what to do next. We work currently with over 60 B2B partners, mainly insurance companies and health systems. And in interest of both patient and the health system is to treat you quickly and efficiently, right? So we made studies together with companies like Allianz, which is one of the world's largest insurance companies. And we noticed that if you analyze the chief complaints or problems that patients are reporting through a symptom checker, it turns out that about 30% of patient problems, patient cases can be treated at home. Headache is most likely not a brain tumor, so you can reduce anxiety. But at the same time, you can promote channels of providing and facilitating care that are appropriate to your needs. A very good example is adoption of telemedicine. With the use of our tools, uh, with the use of our symptom checker, we noticed that we can triple the rate of teleconsultations happening in one of our clients' health systems. Because patients realize that, hey, maybe I don't have to go and see the specialist. I can just start with a phone call with my GP and this will solve the problem. So on one hand, it's about, of course, efficiency for those health systems that can save money by routing patients to the right point of care. But for patients, it's saving of time. It's a faster access to care and it's your comfort. So obviously over the last year, the last however many months it's been now, we've been going through, uh, as everyone keeps saying, unprecedented times in many industries, but of course, health being the main one. Have you seen a change over the last couple of months, such as increased demand for services like yours? Are there any different kind of problems that you're trying to solve? How have you been sort of able to respond to this increase in demand that I'm assuming you'll have been having? Absolutely, Gemma. Uh, situation changed uh, very rapidly and had a huge impact on all our operations and also our products. So first of all, when this whole pandemic started, uh, we thought to ourselves, hey, what can we do to help in this situation? I ran across a quote. Unfortunately, I don't know who was the author, but the pandemic is not the time to sell, it's the time to serve. So we took it to our hearts and we thought that maybe we can use our existing technology stack and network to offer something useful. And this is how we came up with this idea of COVID-19 risk assessment tool. So a symptom checker to tell you if you are at risk of COVID-19 and to triage your problems related to this disease. And apart from that, we applied the same business logic we have. So we wanted to keep it... Uh, first of all, customizable, and secondly, easy to use by other parties. So we developed something called API to make integrations easy. We also allowed easy embedding on third-party websites, everything for free in more than 20 language versions. We've spent a lot of time and a lot of money and our resources building it, but that was our very small, at least, contribution. So far today, we've had uh, almost 1 million of patients who checked themselves using this COVID-19 risk assessment tool. And also this has been adopted by over 300 B2B organizations worldwide, uh, including uh, some huge partners like the Ministry of Health in Poland or Ministry of Health uh, in Ukraine. We also saw a much increased demand for our core symptom checker functionality. A huge spike in the number of checkups, uh, even triple of what we have normally. And also we saw a much higher demand from potential clients, from potential health systems. And why? Well, we all see that 
COVID-19 so far had very, very huge impact on accessibility to healthcare. You know, doctors busy working in hospitals, unfortunately getting sick themselves, uh, clinics being closed, and now you need triage to figure out which patients are in need most, right? Which of them can be consulted over phone, which of them can stay at home. So I really think that although this uh, situation is very sad, tragic, and unfortunate, for digital health solutions, and especially telemedicine, that was a spark of something that maybe will transform the healthcare that we know forever. And how have you been able to keep up with, you know, as you said, but at the same time, as we know, there have been huge numbers of scientific papers coming out about COVID, some from good, reputable sources, some not, tons of preprints. So how have you guys been able to, I guess, uh, cut through and separate the wheat from the chaff to then inform your symptom checker and make sure that it's really up to date with the science? That's a great question, Gemma. And uh, that's actually one of the lessons we learned during this process. So actually, while Informatica is all about applying machine learning and AI, COVID-19 symptom checker is not. It's, uh, this, the system is entirely based on protocols which are consistent with WHO and CDC. Uh, and that was, um, well, how we wanted to design it from the beginning. So we say it's not our own content, it's not AI-powered, it's just following a very well-curated strict protocols which are recognized worldwide. And I really think that this is the reason which allowed us to scale through different partners and organizations. Otherwise, it would be very difficult to build trust. Mm. And as you know, when you think about digital health and new solutions in healthcare, it's all about trust. It just goes to show sometimes that, you know, we can talk about um, artificial intelligence, machine learning and quantum computing and all of these um, amazing sounding technologies. And they are amazing in many different ways. But sometimes when you just have to get something to work and to get it done quickly, it's not always about, you know, fanciest of tech. Sometimes it's low tech or um, collaboration of humans and using technology in a way that works best as opposed to trying to pick the all singing, all dancing, hypey, shiny technology they read about in the newspapers. <laughs> Absolutely. So you've been working with lots of different kinds of partners to push your technology to end clients, end users. Maybe you could give me one example. We have here the, the healthcare bot service, for instance, with Microsoft. How have you been working with these guys and how's that worked? Of course, Microsoft is probably our main partner right now. One of the main partners we have at Informatica. And it's a great collaboration so far. Uh, just to explain it in a couple of sentences, Microsoft is providing their own bot service, HealthBot framework, which allows you to build your own customized chatbots. And they provide this technology to different B2B partners, similar to Informatica, especially health systems and hospitals, not only in the US, but worldwide. And Microsoft has been searching for functionality for patients' symptom checking and triage that could become part of uh, HealthBot framework. So after the evaluation, they decided to partner with Informatica. That's something we're extremely proud and excited about. And the way it works is that different partners, different healthcare clients that Microsoft has can use Informatica within the bot framework. 
So they can customize into Medica, they can add new features, they can add, for example, locations of facilities, reminders, they can add information content for patients. So they can drag and drop, build their own chatbot powered by our symptom checking functionality. Amazing. I mean, this must massively supercharge the ability for many different kinds of organizations to, I guess, adapt to their needs. How how much of a, I guess, adaptation can be done? Because obviously what you, you guys have built is something really powerful, really specific, well-checked, well-sourced, um, putting the science first. But of course, when you start adapting things, you know, is that going to change the kind of efficacy of what you're doing? How much room is there for for that kind of building by the organizations who are implementing? That's an excellent question, Gemma. I really think customizability is extremely important feature. If you want to work with B2B partners in various countries and geographies, you need to have a pretty high level of flexibility because you've got different patients, different systems, sometimes different ranges of conditions. If we look at Central Africa, of course, the epidemiology is different than if we look at UK. So basically, insurance companies or health systems can fine-tune the triage strategies they want to use. So maybe one health system already has a telemedicine service, and they want to know that for this specific group of symptoms or probable diagnosis, they want to have their patients admitted through telehealth call. But maybe there is another system that does not have telemedicine in place yet, and they want to send the same patients to a local GP clinic. So a very important part of customization that must happen in every implementation is how you want to structure your triage and routing policies so they match the capacity and the way your health system works. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Let's zoom out a little bit and think about healthcare industry, AI and bots in general, because there has been a lot of discussion around how AI and chatbots can you know, revolutionise healthcare. How do you get people to adopt new technologies and new ideas like this in an industry, you know, you mentioned trust earlier on, an industry that is people rely on so heavily? I have to say it has been a challenge to some extent. What were the uh, problems before and what were the main challenges that we saw? So first of all, lack of evidence. But it's a, I would say, a very common problem of chicken and egg, right? You want to bring more adoption, but you don't have proof that this works. And if you look at uh, different digital health solutions, you can rarely find peer-reviewed studies. You can rarely find numbers. And it's okay, you know, because all these solutions are very new. We are still learning. We have case studies that we uh, recently developed with our clients, but we didn't have it a few years before. So it was much harder. But in order to build trust, uh, you need evidence and you need ideally peer-reviewed studies confirming this evidence that it saves time. It makes uh, physicians work easier. It makes patients happier. And with COVID-19 situation, we can see that, first of all, adoption of telemedicine skyrocketed, right? So it really surged. And uh, I think there is no turning back. It's a wave, you know, it's a test flight for digital health solutions. And think from the perspective of a health system, if 
if they implemented with a huge success a COVID-19 checker, they saw decreased uh, number of calls to their call center. Maybe they saw notice a drop in emergency room admissions. Maybe they realized that, okay, the queues are getting shorter because now people can use a chatbot on our website to check their symptoms. They will be at least tempted to try something else. Hey, maybe we can try the same with common cold or maybe with flu. Maybe we can expand to other areas um, and, uh, uh, and see if that can improve our operations. Microsoft Power Virtual Agents helps organizations leverage rich, personalized, and cost-effective chatbot technology and conversational engines to resolve repetitive yet time-demanding customer queries and internal-facing requests quickly. Without requiring a single line of code, Power Virtual Agents enable you to build scalable, AI-driven chatbots to improve productivity of handling HR, procurement, or IT help desk operations. Learn more by following the link in the episode description. There's another sort of side to the coin here, I think, when it comes to getting, you know, the public, regular people to trust these chatbots. And it's not just a case of um, going, what is this thing? I don't get it. I don't... It's sometimes not really believing that it's going to get it right. And you you just want to talk to a person. You can't be bothered having to, you know, I'm thinking about when you call up a number and you have to, you know, select all of your, you know, option two for this, option four for that. And it takes forever. And you finally get to a person 10 minutes later. And it's such a simple conversation uh, with a human being, but it's very difficult for computational systems sometimes to understand what it is we're trying to say. Is it about just making the product better so that as more people use it, more people will trust it? Or is there maybe a public information campaign that that needs to go out to talk about how good it currently is? Or, you know, do we have to be realistic about how good it currently is? I'd love for you to talk a little bit about this element of trust. Yes, we need to be honest and realistic. Obviously, what we have right now, even if you look at the most sophisticated chatbot or voicebot, it's ages from being as good as talking to a real human. And let's face it, uh, these solutions probably will not be as good as humans in talking to us in our lifetimes. But I would say that um, we should think about those voice assistants like five to 10 years from now. I, I believe there will be no such problem like IVR machines. You click one, you click five, and you know, it's like you're clicking through and you end up with a voice bot that does not recognize your intent, right? I think we will get to a maturity level and the products yes, as you said, Gemma, will get better, but it will also get different. Think about your typical GP interaction. It's amazing, you know, it's natural to talk to a human being. And imagine that side to side, next to your physician, you have this, let's call it a voice bot or virtual GP assistant, which knows about you much more than your GP knows, right? Knows uh, like uh, your measurements from your Fitbit, from your wearable devices, from your Apple Watch, from whatever you have, maybe some medical devices you have at home. Knows about your latest prescriptions, you know? What drugs are you taking right now? Knows about the whole history of procedures, surgeries, uh, all diseases you had in the past. And it can analyze this information just in a fraction of a second. It's not possible for any human being, right, 
to analyze your lifetime history, medical history in a fraction of a second. And I'm not saying that this virtual assistant will compete with the GP, absolutely not. But I really believe that if they work together, suddenly it might turn out that you'll receive a much better care, faster care, more precise, safer, and more effective because it will be more personalized to who you are. You know, there's an understandable discussion around, um, you know, robots stealing jobs and people fearing that they're going to be replaced by technology. But we've kind of touched on this slightly more optimistic um, idea that perhaps with the use of um, medical chatbots, what GP can do is massively amplified. I wonder if you could paint a picture of the way in which these technologies can massively augment um, and improve the personalized service of a GP. There is a range of capabilities where AI can assist physicians. And again, I'm not saying about replacing physicians. It's just about augmenting their work so that their job is easier, they can treat more patients and spend more time building relationships with patients instead of typing on their keyboards. So first of all, I believe a very interesting areas where AI could immediately help is intake collection. So learning about the patient before a visit, collecting intake information about your history, about your chief complaints. Secondly, it's clinical decision support. So analyzing everything we know about the patient and suggesting different uh, ideas about most likely conditions that you might want to consider doing the differential diagnosis. Also, such AI, such clinical decision support solution can support physicians in finding the best lab testing setups to evaluate the patient. And as we move forward, there can be different diagnostic areas. So for example, performing interpretation of uh, x-ray scans or imaging diagnostics. We already have algorithms that are doing this very well. It can be also analyzing your trends from wearable devices, your heart rate, your blood pressure. It's also about analyzing probably your halter ECG history in a fraction of a second. I would say it's about inspiring physicians to perform at the top of their license and at the same time minimizing the risk of diagnosis. And finally, it's nowhere close to where we are today, but I believe that in five to 10 years, we can have some FDA-approved uh, machine learning algorithms that will be able to make a definitive diagnosis. What you've kind of described there sounds great in theory, um, this idea that there's a piece of technology that's able to kind of see all of your history and also, you know, comb all the scientific literature out there and, you know, bring all that data together and be able to make recommendations accordingly. But there's a lot of kind of really practical issues, silly things. It sounds silly. It's not silly, but silly things like even just being able to link up medical records is extremely difficult to do and it can be argued is sort of violating privacy in some sense. So how do you think about the reality of what tech could do if we were able to link up all this data in the way that you describe versus you know the reality of actually making that happen in broader society which actually doesn't necessarily have much to do with how well tech advances. <laughs> That's a great point, Gemma, and you're absolutely right. Uh, we can imagine many wonderful things, but reality is reality, right? Uh, privacy issues, interoperability, different structures of electronic health records, 
very complex topics. And I, again, unfortunately, there might be places that can solve these problems in five to 10 years from now. But for sure, there will be countries or systems where this will not be solved even in 30 years. Mm. Um, so I really think that if such access to data was possible, we can hardly say anything about limitations. I, I don't want to go too far, but I really see uh, algorithms making prescriptions for simple illnesses, you know, for common cold, for something that maybe does not require physical examination immediately. But even if we look at imaging diagnostics, uh, analyzing x-ray scans, CT scans, there are already great results, right? It's also, I believe, apart from access to data, it's also about changing our regulatory approach. So if AI gets it wrong, who is responsible, you know? What's the liability? I mean, that's a fascinating legal problem, right? Like right. maybe you buy insurance policy for an algorithm and if it fails, maybe first this algorithm needs to pass an exam just like medical doctors do to practice and then you've got some sort of uh, coverage for liability. I don't know, but you can apply the same problem to pretty much everything, to self-driving cars, right? To self-flying planes, and the medical diagnosis. Uh, what can we do in short term, Gemma? That's a great question. And I'm a huge fan of uh, building bridges. The best we can do is to bridge what the patient can do and what the physician can use. And even trying to overcome all those limitations of uh, electronic health records and so on, you have a patient who's really concerned about symptoms he or she can provide information to the physician prior to visit. You, you know, if you know that this will improve your final diagnosis and so on, I can assume safely you will spend extra two minutes before a visit to share some insights with your physician. And that's also how we're thinking at Informatica. As part of our roadmap, we're building this product of intake collection before a visit. So on one hand, you have a symptom checker, which is filled out by a patient in a couple of minutes. But on the receiver side, you have a physician. And still a very naive, basic version of this virtual GP assistant, which is summarizing and presenting some hints about most likely conditions and further examination. What are the liability concerns involved with using a bot as a symptom checker? You know, I'm thinking misdiagnosis, for example. That's a very important question, Gemma, and probably the first question we hear when talking to different partners. So first of all, it's all about the intended use of the tool. So if you begin to use our tools, you need to accept the terms of service. We explain this is not a medical diagnosis. If you feel that you might be having emergency, don't use this tool. Call your doctor immediately. When you review the results, there is also a disclaimer saying that the list of recommendations might not be complete. This is for educational purposes. And to tell you the truth, in history of over 7 million of patient cases, we never had a single incident because we make sure that we communicate this purpose of use properly. And it's very important to us that also doctors who are promoting this tool feel safe and assured that we explain this intent of use correctly. And secondly, it's all about the quality. We simply do a lot of validation. We want to make sure that it works correctly. 
We validate and test the system every single day. If there's anything we can improve, we do that immediately. So combination of proper communication and quality of a system does decrease the liability. But of course, we can imagine situation in the future in whatever AI area we can think of that there will be mistakes. But humans also make mistakes. It's unavoidable. But still, as long as we are communicating the use of the tool properly, all our users are fine. So you've been running Informatica since 2012. It's been eight years. Not only has technology moved and changed so much in that time, and as you've alluded to, so have societal systems, which massively inform how well this technology is taken up. So this experience view, what are the biggest lessons that you've learned and that you could pass on to the listeners of the show? Well, you need to be persistent. I've been doing this for over eight years. And to be honest, it's just when the right time is starting. If you think about your idea, you can have great ideas, but if the time is not right, you will struggle. And I can assure you, back in 2012, 13, 14, it was way too early. There was absolutely no willingness of B2B partners to adapt this technology. In the meantime, what happened? We realized that there are words or things like telemedicine, all the AI machine learning buzz happened. And suddenly the attention of potential clients was created. So you first one is timing. You need to get your timing pretty well and still you need to be either very naive or persistent and not give up so easily. And secondly, it's very important to have some foundations as building blocks of your company, especially in healthcare. Uh, we try to think about ourselves not as a software company, not as a sort of a startup building some nice AI gadgets, not at all. We want to think about ourselves as having responsibility for making classified medical device because we are. It's a classified medical device. So we try to think about ourselves more as a, maybe not pharmaceutical company, but somebody building a new drug. So with this comes a lot of responsibility. You want to make sure that your quality is the best you can provide. This will be used by patients. This will be used by providers. You want to put trust and honesty at the foundation of your work. And uh, my key takeaway is that once we established those values, suddenly the whole company started thinking this way. How do we make it more transparent? How do we become more honest about what we do? How do we bring more quality? And that's like a key takeaway I had in the past few years. Amazing. Very inspiring, Piotr. Thank you so much for sharing with us both your journey, but also so much background and brilliant insight into the world of medical care, which not everyone always gets to peek behind the curtain. So we massively appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you, Gemma. It was a great pleasure. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can find out more about Piotr's work and indeed some of the broader themes we discussed today in the show notes. If you enjoyed the episode, please do take a few moments to rate and review the podcast. It really helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to hit subscribe and tune in next time to continue our conversation about innovation, resilience and our capacity to succeed. Microsoft Power Virtual Agents helps organizations build intelligent chatbots that scale one-to-one service request operations simply and naturally without writing a single line of code. 
Learn more by following the link in the episode description.